are looking at uh, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 1 of Daniel chapter 6 says this Darius the Mede divided or decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province the king also chose Daniel and two other administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Verse 4 says, Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful always responsible and completely trustworthy. So they concluded the only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders for th that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. This is very important. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its window open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about this law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands as it is an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. Then, the, then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives of Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal as the seals and the seals of his, his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and could not sleep at all that night. Verse 19 says, very early the next morning, king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. 
When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the, the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Verse 24 says, Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Then King Darius sent this word to, uh, this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he, he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. The last verse in this entire chapter says, So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Amen. With all that being said, I want to preach to you from the Bible city, the Bible study entitled, or the sermon entitled, What Are Your Convictions? What are your convictions? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for everything that you do for us. We thank you for this time that we have uh, to come and to learn from your word. Lord, we pray that you would keep our hearts and our minds open to receive from you this morning what you would have us to know uh, and to apply in our lives. Lord, we pray uh, for each and every person that's here uh, that they would not only be hearers of this word but doers of this word. God, I, I pray for our pastor. I pray that you uh, continue to work on healing his body. I, I pray that you continue to work on his patience as he goes through this process of healing. God, I pray for our elder Jimmy uh, as he is also sick and, and he also needs physical healing. Uh, Lord, I pray for myself that you would anoint me, uh, that I would be able to speak the truth of your word and help people to understand it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, this entire story um, has a lot of different application to it. And one of the cool things about this story is it talks about this process of conviction. Okay. And we're going to see uh, two types of conviction come from this story. And we'll get a chance to kind of compare and contrast them a little bit later on. Um, but if you look up conviction in the dictionary, uh, you're going to find several different definitions, uh, two of which apply to what we're talking about today. Uh, one of them uh, is the act of finding a person guilty of a crime. Okay, so we all know that one. 
you watch enough Law and Order, you'll find out a lot of people get convicted, and I mean that, that's it. it. There is a conviction there. Okay. Uh, then the other type of conviction is uh, the, the other type of way that conviction is defined is a strongly held belief that we have in anything. Okay. Strongly held belief that we have in God. Strongly held, held belief that we have that uh, the Jaguars are going to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> We'll see. They 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 looking all right right now. Better than my Jets. Uh, so you know we all we all have a set of strongly held beliefs about something. Okay. So uh, in this particular story, uh, we have Daniel, and he is uh, he is living in exile in Babylon at this time, and he is one of the king's many advisors. Uh, throughout the 120 provinces in the land of Babylon. And um, what happens is, you know, he, he shows himself to be really trustworthy. He shows himself to be very, uh, very good at what he does, and he ends up getting promoted and promoted and promoted. Next thing you know, he's over all these administrators and like none of them really like him, okay? Uh, because how is it that this guy that's coming from a land that we conquered going to rise to a level of power over us and we're from here? You know, so we got, uh, we have this, this, uh, this drama that sort of plays out over the course of this story. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot that goes on. So I'm going to take a little bit of time and just kind of step through this. I am going off schedule for real on this. So uh, just kind of follow with me as we track through the story. Um, let's start off in verse 2, and then we'll go from there. All right, so Bible says this. The king, ch- uh, the king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officer's and protect the king's interests. Verse 3. Daniel soon proved himself more than capable than all the other administrators and high officers because of Daniel's great ability. The king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So um, I want to pull a few things out of this and and just so that you guys can kind of take notes and and keep score here. Uh, We're going to be looking at... um, the things that all Christians should model from what Daniel's life proved, okay? So we're going to be looking at uh, and trying to identify the four things that Daniel did. And in these two verses, verses 2 and 3, the very first thing that Daniel does that we also need to model is that he served those in authority over him with excellence, Okay, and, you know, this ought to be something that we all want to do. All right. So, you know, for instance, when we go to our jobs, okay, are we the type of uh, of person that just goes, punches the clock from nine to five and does exactly what we're supposed to do? Or are we considered exceptional? Are we considered of those that serve with excellence? You know, like if if uh, if you get your annual review on your job. 
are there enough marks on there to show that you are performing with excellence? Or are you, you know, just average across the board? You know, and I, I know that's kind of subjective, but we're not looking at this in terms of whether or not you're, uh, you're looking to get a raise from this or not. We're looking at this in terms of are you serving, as a Christian, are you serving with excellence? Because if you call yourself a Christian and you're on the job and people know that you call yourself a Christian, people are looking to see exactly what's different about you from them. Okay? And if they don't see the differences between you and them, okay, then it kind of undermines your testimony because now, yeah, you ain't no better than me. You, you take your break just like I do, and you don't do any better quality work than I do. You come in, you complain just like I do about having to work long hours and uh, having to work for a boss that doesn't know as much as I do. Okay, so what makes you different? What makes you excellent when it comes to serving those who are in authority over you? Okay? And this is something that we need to be mindful of because it's real easy for us to kind of get caught up in the trap of, man, nobody else around here is doing any work and I feel like I'm doing all this extra burden and I'm running around and I'm doing this and that and this and that and everybody else is, is like on a seven hour break. But we are not called by the Bible to complain at all. Actually, uh, it's the opposite. Because uh, if you read in the book of Philippians, it tells us that we shouldn't be complaining about anything. Okay? Um, and instead, we need to be praying about everything. Okay? So our responsibility as Christians in our walk in representing Christ is to do things with excellence and to make sure that we are putting forth our best effort, okay, regardless of the circumstances, okay? Because uh, I'm going I'm to tell you like this, people are always watching whether or not you believe they are or not. And they're always looking to see, okay, well, what's he going to do today? What's she going to do today that's going to prove to me that Christianity is worth following? Okay? People want to find a reason to have fault with you. And this is exactly what played out in this story. Okay? So... We have to ask ourselves every day, all the time, am I really serving with excellence? Am I putting forth my best effort? Am I making sure that I'm getting up not only on time, but maybe getting to the job a little bit early so I can set things in order so I can get going throughout the day? Okay? Am I making sure that as I'm going throughout the day, even though things may be going sideways, I'm making sure that I'm still trying to encourage people. I'm making sure that I'm still trying to do the job to the best of my ability. Because it's real easy to get sidetracked. You know, you work in a, a, a job where, uh, I don't know, you, you go somewhere where uh, you're in customer service, for instance, okay? People calling you on the phone and complaining, 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 complaining. Next thing you know, you're complaining back to them about the job that you have to do, that you're getting paid to do, okay? They're not getting paid to complain to you, and you shouldn't be complaining to them, all right? That's not serving in excellence. Okay, serving in excellence means that regardless of everything else, you're acknowledging the fact that, you know what, God, I'm just so thankful to have a job because there's other people out there that don't have a job. There's other people out there that are struggling. There's other people out there that are homeless. There's other people out there that don't know when they're going to eat next. Okay, 
And excellence means that we set all the other stuff aside and just be thankful for the things that are being met. Okay? And we need to make sure that as we go through, especially during this time of year, uh, because Christians are sort of under the microscope right now because it's Christmas and we're saying, well, Jesus is the reason for the season and people are looking at us like, okay, whatever, I'm going to still go out there and buy all these gifts, but you show me what Christianity is truly about. And they're looking to see if we are different from them. So you have to ask yourself, how different am I from the people that I work with? How different am I from my neighbors? Okay? How different am I from the average person on the street? Because we are supposed to be serving with excellence. And that doesn't just mean that when we're on the job, we're serving with excellence. That means when we're at home with our kids, we're serving with excellence too. Because we need to be the example to them about what it means to be Christian. Okay? About what it means to be men and women who are being responsible for raising children. Because that's the example that they're going to lead with when they get older. Okay? So we need to be serving in excellence in all capacities. I don't care if we come here on a Saturday morning and we're doing food and clothing, okay? We need to be serving with excellence then. We need to be showing people God's love then, okay? We need to be showing people God's, uh, people God's love when we're on the job, when we're out at Publix, when we are at home with our children. We need to be showing people God's love everywhere. That's what it means to serve with excellence, and that's what Daniel was doing. Okay? So, let's go ahead and we'll move on to verse 4. And the Bible says, Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. So we just talked about this. You know, um, if... If I were to come to your job and ask a set of your coworkers, or if I were to come to your school and ask one of your classmates, you know, uh, what's, what's Jacob like? Tell me what Jacob's like. I'm picking on Jake because I, I know Jake from, uh, from the youth group. So if I were to go to Oak Leaf High School and ask Jake's friends, you know, what's Jacob really like? Tell me what he's really like, you know, and they were to lay out like this laundry list of stuff uh, that they were being critical of him about, okay? Would that line up with the character of Christ? How, how is your character when you're on the job? Is that aligning with how people would define a Christian? Now, now people can have some jacked up uh, definitions of Christians because let's be real, there are some jacked up Christians out there. But, you know, when it comes down to it, we know that uh, as Christians, we know that being Christian means that we are being like Jesus Christ. Okay? Is what you're doing lining up with the character of Jesus Christ? Is what you're saying lining up with the character of Jesus Christ? Are your thoughts lining up with those of Jesus? Is your attitude one that be, would be one like Jesus? Okay? We have to consider all this because 
I'm going to be honest with you. All the things that I just mentioned right there, your actions, your thoughts, your, uh, uh, your words, your attitude, those things all come down to what's in your heart. Those are internally motivated things that manifest themselves on the outside. Okay? So if we are not being driven by the mind of Christ, if we are not being driven by the love that he has shown for us, how is it that we are going to in turn do that in the presence of other people? Okay? And Daniel's conduct both in the public eye and out of the public eye proved what his character was, and we're going to see that in a little bit. Verse 5 says, So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. <laughs> now, this is kind of funny, you know, because I, I, I think about uh, there's, a, uh, uh, there's a cliche out there or an anecdote, I, I, I would say, uh, that says if you were on trial for being a Christian, would they have enough evidence to convict you? Now, just think about that for a second. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would they really have enough evidence to convict you? What's the testimony of your life that says that I am a Christian? Ask yourself that question. Because if it's kind of iffy and they could acquit you of being a Christian, then that's not a good thing. Okay? Because you're not living enough like Christ in order to prove them otherwise. Okay? So we have to understand that this, this particular statement, this, was, this is actually an honor when the only thing that they can say bad about you is that, look, uh, if we're going to get him on anything, we got to get him based on his religion. We got to get him based on being a Christian. Okay? And quite frankly, if we are not living to that degree, that's the standard right there. If we are not living to that degree of Christianity, then we're missing the mark. Then we look a little bit too much like the world than we look like a Christian. Okay? So let's take a look at verse 6. And the Bible says, so the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. Verse 7 says, we are all in agreement. We have administrators, high officials, high officers, advisors, and governors. Now, this is interesting because they said we all are in agreement. But Daniel wasn't there. Daniel wasn't there. And, and quite frankly, the fact that he wasn't there, but at this point he was over each and every one of them was pretty telling. Okay? No, they were all in agreement. Daniel wasn't in agreement with this. Okay? But this is what happens when we live for Jesus. This is what happens when we live for Christ at such a high level and serve with such a, uh, a high level of excellence that people have to try and find fault with you some way, shape, or form Within the, uh, within the way that you live your life, okay? They can't find anything else, okay? Not the stuff that they would normally be convicted of. 
No, they didn't touch on any of that stuff. They touched on the stuff that they weren't going to be doing anyway. Okay, they weren't going to be serving God. So they came at him and they tried to get him removed by way of having him convicted for something that they knew he was going to do anyway. Okay? So, Bible says in verse 8, it says, And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So, we don't, uh, we don't necessarily um, look at, uh, we don't necessarily look at the law of the Medes and Persians the way that they did back then. I mean, these were non-revocable laws that went on to the books that the king, who was the highest official in the land, couldn't revoke, okay? So when something went into effect, it was like, yeah, you either comply with it or, you know, that's it. We got to get rid of you, okay? So this was not something that was taken lightly. They didn't just ask him to put a law on the books, okay, which would have left some wiggle room for the king to say, ah, well, you know what, I know he's guilty of this, but I'm not going to convict him of it. No, they specifically asked that it be put as a law as it applied to the law of the Medes and Persians because they knew that the king could not back out of it, okay? So it was very, very intentional when they came to him and they specifically asked him to place this under the law of the Medes and Persians, okay? So let's drop down. Uh, verse 9 says, so King Darius signed the law. Verse 10 says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Now, we have to understand that Daniel had a, a, a very big choice to make here. And um, let me back up just a second. Because um, I actually missed the point. I'm, I'm like getting ahead of myself. Um, so the second point that I wanted to make to you guys is that Daniel lived of a godly character. Okay, and I, I think we kind of explained that and worked through what that meant. But the third point I want to make to you guys is that he maintained a consistent prayer life and he openly lived out his faith. Okay? And this is something that we all need to do, okay? You know, we, we, um, we walk into a restaurant, for instance, we sit down and we order, uh, we order our food and then we go to pray and, you know, instead of praying out loud, we pray silently. Why? Why do we have to do that? We live in a land of religious freedom right now, okay? Um, and I'll come back to that in a little bit later on, but we live in a land right now where we can openly pray, where we can openly talk about our God, okay? Uh, but how often do we do it to the point where other people are going to be impacted 
okay? You know, we, we, um, we look at this story here, and Daniel had just found out that, you know, all these administrators that were underneath him went to the king, and they got this law signed into effect. Um, and quite frankly, I would have fired them all, but, you know, that's what it is. Um, but he just found out that he had a choice to make because this law was signed into effect that could not be revoked and that he ultimately was going to either choose God or he was going to choose death, okay? Because he knew what, what they would do if they found him or actually when they found out because he wasn't going to change anything about the way that he was doing things. If we go back to verse 10, the Bible says that, we go back to verse 10, the Bible says that this is what the first thing he did after the law was signed. He went home and he knelt down as usual. He didn't change anything about what he was doing, okay? He went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open, okay? So he said, well, you know what? I mean, if that's the way they want to be, I still got to live for God, okay? And it's interesting because, you know, we look at this part of the story, and he knew. He knew what the, the punishment was going to be for this, but he did it anyway. You know, and I, I, when I started thinking about this, you know, there was only one conclusion that I, I came to, and it was that he had already determined what he was going to do regardless of whether or not this law was in effect. He had determined before all of this came down what he was going to do, who he was going to be, what his strongly held beliefs were going to be. He had already served under this conviction up to this point, and he wasn't going to abandon it. Okay? This was his conviction, that I am going to serve God regardless of whether or not that means it's going to be my life that's on the line or not. This is the conviction that he lived under, but they convicted him under the law of the Medes and Persians. Okay? So there was a price that would have to be paid for this, but he did it anyway because this is what his spiritual discipline was. You know, and I, I think about this, and, I, um, you know, the, the question that comes to mind is like, man, this dude was going, and he was praying three times a day. He was doing it openly. How many, of, how many people in this room, and don't raise your hands. I don't really want to know. It's a rhetorical question. How many of y'all have prayed more than three times in a day, and it wasn't like breakfast, lunch, and dinner? I mean, if we're not, then our spiritual disciplines are lacking, Okay? And this was his custom to do it because he was taking time out of the day to worship God, to pay homage to God for everything, even though he was living in exile. He was living in exile in an elevated position, okay? The rest of the Israelites weren't living the way he was. I can guarantee you that. He wasn't living in any of the king's palaces. Or, or I'm sorry, they weren't living in any of the king's palaces. He was, okay? 
They weren't being invited to all these fancy banquets and things that were going on. He was. Okay? But he didn't take the lap of luxury that he was living in as an excuse to not do the things that God had commanded for him to do. And neither should we. We shouldn't take for granted the fact that we have the opportunity to pray anytime we want, not just three times a day. We need to be praying whenever, whenever we receive a thought in our mind about a family member, about a situation that we've been expecting to change. Whenever we receive um, uh, uh, a thought about you know, any number of issues that we struggle with in life, the first thing that we usually do is we go and we talk to somebody else other than God. I can guarantee you that wasn't Daniel's practice. Okay? Because the first thing that he did after he learned that this law had been signed into effect was he went home and he knelt down as usual to pray to God. So he wasn't shaken by this conviction under this law. He wasn't shaken by it because he had already determined what he was going to do prior to this ever happening. He said in his mind, you know what? Regardless of what happens, I need to serve God, okay? And he could have easily slacked off because of the position that he was in in the natural and just said, you know what? Well, um, you know, I've been blessed up to this point. You know, I can make it past this, this whole law of the Medes and Persians thing um, and just go ahead and close the windows. But he didn't do that. He prayed with the windows open, knowing somebody would see him but not caring if they saw him, okay? And this is where we need to be as Christians. You know, people have this big hang-up about sharing their faith with, uh, with their friends and, and family, um, you know, out of, of, of fear of, you know, uh, being rejected or whatever. Look, Christ was rejected, okay? Christ was rejected by most of the people living during his time, and this is after he came, he did all these miracles. He spoke all this spiritual truth. He tried to get people to understand that he was the only way to God. But they rejected him anyway. We need to understand that, look, it is not our job to save anybody. Our job is only to go out there and share the gospel. That's the easiest part right there. God has the work of doing the salvation in people. Okay? So we don't need to live with this hang-up, with this fear of being rejected. Listen, if people reject it, that's on them. If we don't give it to them, that's on us. And we need to live with that as our conviction. We need to be sharing this gospel. We need to be sharing our faith. We need to be living our faith out in front of people regardless of what the circumstances are regardless of what the repercussions may be. You know, I, I, uh, I read a story uh, about a woman who was an administrative uh, assistant uh, to the CEO of some large company, and um, she would often get, you know, she, she was like the gatekeeper. So nobody uh, would be patched through, you know, if they called on the phone, to speak directly to the CEO um, unless they went through her, okay? So one day, um, you know, she got a call from a particular vendor and the vendor was demanding to speak to 
the CEO, and the CEO in turn tells her, he's like, tell him I'm not here. To which her response was, well, I'll tell you what, um, I'm gonna give you a minute or two to go out to the parking lot or go out to the car because I'm not gonna sit up here and lie just because you don't wanna talk to this person, okay? So I'll go ahead and give you a couple minutes to get outside the building so I can say that you are out of the building. Okay, because I'm gonna be real with you, I'm not gonna lie about this, okay? Now, she easily could have been fired for this. Easily could have been fired for it, okay? But she chose to take a stand. She chose to make sure that her convictions, her strongly held belief was that, look, it is a sin to lie. I am not going to lie for you or anybody else, okay? She chose to take that stand, and she took it before he actually came and said something to her. Because she was like, she didn't even bat an eye. She didn't even think about it. She was like, mm, sorry. Uh-uh. I'll give you a couple minutes to go out to your car, because I'm not going to lie for you if you're still here in the building. For how many of us would that be our testimony, though? I mean, we're, we're asked... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm only going to talk about this from a rehab standpoint, so like Joyce and maybe Victor know what I'm talking about, but um, there are times when our supervisors or the people that are over us will come to us and ask us to do things that are not quite ethical. Where do we take a stand? Where do we say, where do we draw the line and be like, ah, no, I'm not going to do that? Each and every one of us has those types of instances, has those situations on our jobs or just in the regular course of our everyday life where we got to make a choice. Who are we going to be? Not just in the moment, who are we going to be, period? Where's the standard for us? Who are we going to be regardless of what the circumstances are, regardless of what the repercussions will be of those circumstances? Okay? Who are we going to be? So, you know, I, 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 look at, um, I look at how, how committed Daniel was. And you have to commend him because this was not an easy choice. This choice would have cost him his life. For a lot of us, if we were to go against something that one of our superiors uh, may want us to do or, or want us to say, you know, that may entail us getting fired or may entail us getting, you know, uh, uh, some sort of reprimand on the job or, or suspension or whatever. But this could have cost him his life, okay? And as a matter of fact, it would have cost him his life if he would not have been covered by God, okay? So let's keep moving. Uh, let's look at verse 11. Uh, it says, Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. That ought to be a word to somebody uh, all by itself. Uh, so they went straight to the king and reminded him about the, his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands at, as it is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man, Daniel, not your servant, Daniel, not 
you know, the one that you appointed over all of us. No, that man, they tried to gain as much distance between themselves and him as possible. That man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, so now they're referring to him as he was, one of the captives. So he's not one of us. He's one of the captives, right? Okay, so that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring your law, you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. See, the king really loved Daniel, okay? He would not have appointed him to the position that he appointed him to if he really didn't love him and trust him, okay? That's just how it worked back then, okay? Um, and, like, you look at the life of uh, uh, the life of Joseph back in, uh, back in Genesis. You know, he gets sold into slavery, and two times in his life, because he was, again, serving with excellence, he gets elevated to a position of prominence, both in Potiphar's house and then within the court of the Pharaoh, okay? Two times. But that entire process took almost 17 years to play out. Okay, but the thing was, he maintained, and I'm talking about Joseph, he maintained the convictions that he had. He maintained the disciplines that he had about serving God. Okay, so regardless of when he was confronted with the temptation of sleeping with Potiphar's wife, okay, or whether or not uh, he was going to take anything extra because once, once you get elevated to second in command over Egypt, everything's up underneath you, okay? Except for the Pharaoh himself. So, I mean, he could have taken a lot of liberties, is what I'm saying, with his position, but he didn't, okay? And he was blessed because of that, all right? And this is the same thing that, that's happening with Daniel here, okay? Because Daniel, Daniel was placed in this position, and the king obviously was very conflicted about this decision, okay, that he, it really wasn't even a decision. It was more like uh, what he had to do because of the law, okay? So he was really, really wrestling with this a lot, okay? So let's move on. Uh, looking at verse 15, the Bible says, in the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Verse 17 says, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Okay, so Daniel's uh, more than in a bit of a predicament here. Okay, so he got thrown into this lion's den. The lion's den was sealed, okay, to where no one could get in or out. And... I mean, his life was definitely in danger. So here's what happens in verse 18. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting 
he refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep all night. Now, this is interesting to me because at this point, and this is my fourth point here, uh, Daniel's life and testimony affected other people around him. Okay? And here we have this king of Babylon. He knows nothing of the Jews except for that they conquered the Jews. Okay? He knows nothing about um, he knows nothing about God or anything other than what he sees of the Israelites that are living in captivity. Okay? So he doesn't know anything about this God, but watch what he does here. Let's go back to verse 18. The king returned to his palace, and he did what? He spent the night fasting. This fasting, this is a spiritual discipline that Jews have at this point in time and that Christians have now. But this was not a customary thing for any people originally from Babylon. But he took it up because he loved Daniel and he wanted Daniel to get out of this situation. So he turned to the one thing that he saw about Daniel's life that he might be able to do for himself. He didn't have a relationship with God, but that didn't mean he couldn't fast. And that's what he did. Okay? So Daniel's life and his testimony and the way that he lived his life was impacting the king. Okay? And we need to be mindful of the same thing. And I've been saying this since the beginning of the sermon, but how is your life impacting the people around you? You know, I talk to the youth quite often about the fact that we all have a certain level of influence in the circles that we travel in, okay? And influence is always at play. I don't care if you want it to be or not, okay? Influence is always at play. So you are either influencing the people around you or they are influencing you or some combination of both, okay? Are you influencing the people around you to the point where they start to take on more characteristics of Christianity than they do of the world? Are you doing that? And we have to really be honest with ourselves and, and ask ourselves, especially during this time of year, because it is so easy to get swept up in being busy. It's so easy to get swept up in gift giving. It's so easy to say, oh, yeah, I want to go out and I want to buy this gift for this person and give this to, to my mom and do all this. And Jesus is the birthday boy. You know, and I told the youth this on Wednesday night. Look, if we were to be honest as Christians, the only thing that we should be doing on Christmas is going, give, going and giving gifts to the king because it's his birthday, okay? We need to be giving gifts to the king. So he, here's how this would work. If we were to actually get all the Christians in the world, right now there's a statistic out there from 2012 that says that there's about 2.2 billion Christians on the planet, okay? I don't believe it, but that's the statistic. So imagine if 2.2 billion Christians reached into their wallet. This thing on? Imagine if 2.2 billion Christians reached into their wallet and gave a little something extra during Christmas time to the church, to the organized church. How much impact could that have on the world? 
But do we do that? That's the question. Because, see, if we live a certain way for Jesus Christ, then what ends up happening is that level of influence that we have in the circles around us will be affected. And if we don't, the opposite will occur. Okay? Remember, influence is bi-directional. It flows both ways. So we are, the, we are either influencing the culture around us or we are being influenced by the culture around us. So think about it in your, in your own life. Which one are you more like? Are you going out there and trying to influence people for Christ or are you allowing yourself to be influenced by the culture at large? It's a really key question. We, we, we have to keep this in perspective. Because Daniel's life and testimony said that he had done enough that he influenced the people around him. Okay? In the case of the king, he drew the king in. The king was really drawn to Daniel, and uh, he loved Daniel. In the instance of the people who Daniel was over, it repelled them. They rejected who he was. They were trying to get him overthrown. They were trying to get him killed. But are you influencing people? Regardless of what you're doing, are you influencing people? Okay? So, moving on to verse 19, the Bible says, Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Verse 20, 21 says, Daniel answered, long live the king. Verse 22 says, my God has sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. See, Daniel's testimony at this point was that God had sent the angel to shut the mouths of the lions. And that was great. But God did this in order to sort of like tip the domino and move something in the king's heart. Okay? Because at this point, it wasn't enough that the king loved Daniel. It wasn't enough that um, you know, he respected him enough to put him in um, as one of the highest positions over anybody in the kingdom. It wasn't enough that uh, Daniel had affected him so much that now the king was fasting, was fasting, taking on a discipline that never would have been um, imparted on any other culture, okay? So he was taking on all these things because he was influenced by the way Daniel lived his life. Okay, so God specifically shut the mouths of these lions so that Daniel would have an even stronger testimony. He brought him through what was a, you can't even call it a life and death situation, it was just a death situation because anybody else would have just been devoured, okay? So he brought him through this, and this was the tipping point in the story. This was, and you're going to see this in just a minute, 
this was the point when the king not only knew that Daniel was this Jew that was devout and that he served in excellence because he loved this God and that God blessed him, okay, and that if you put him into a position of power, now that blessing is going to pour out on you out of influence, okay? So this wasn't just about those things. Now it was about moving the, king, the heart of the king to do something really special because watch what happens here. Verse 23, the Bible says the king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted his God. That's a word for somebody, too. Verse 24 says, then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the den of lions along with their wives and children. Hmm. Yeah, imagine that. You make a mistake on the job and, and you do something out of the wrong heart. Next thing you know, you're getting fed to lions. Yeah. Uh, so then the Bible says, <laughs> the lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. It wasn't that they got lowered down. They ran around trying to run away from these things. No, they got it before they even touched the floor. Okay. So then in verse 25, the Bible says, then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Now, watch this, because this went out to everybody, okay? This wasn't just out to the people that were living in the same city. This wasn't just out to the different provinces. This went out to everybody in the world. He let out a shout when he saw what had happened, okay? This is the effect of, uh, like, in, nowadays we would say, all right, uh, this went viral, okay? So here's what happened here. He sends out this decree, and it says, peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. His whole testimony changed. His whole life changed in that very moment when he saw the power of God on display in the life of his servant Daniel. His whole perspective changed, okay? Because before, Daniel was just a servant who was serving in excellence and who was blessed of God, and he had elevated him as a way for him to serve the, the country and for, him to, for Daniel to serve the country and for Daniel to serve him better. But now that ends up getting flipped because now he is serving the purpose of God and he is sending word out that God is the truth. Okay, so this whole thing was orchestrated and allowed to play out so that this message could go out to the world. And, you know, we, we, 
we have an opportunity right now uh, as Christians because of the time of year. And we have, um, we have ample opportunity right now because it's Christmas. Jesus is the reason for the season, as the cliche goes, okay? And there are only two times a year where it's socially acceptable for us as Christians to be talking about Jesus, okay? And let's be honest, it's Christmas and Easter, okay? So we have an opportunity now when people are focused on all this gift giving and buying all these uh, uh, buying all these things that they don't need, living outside their means, to point them back to Jesus in a way that uh, is unintrusive, okay? You know, we talked about before how, you know, people don't share Jesus because, um, you know, they uh, fear of being rejected. Well, listen, you can live boldly right now because Jesus came and he was here. That's what Christmas is about. We need to be sharing that with people during this time of year, Okay? And we have an opportunity, just like Daniel, to live on display for God and to highlight what Jesus has done in us. Okay? And we need to take advantage of every single opportunity that we get. We have opportunities when we hear people. We're, we're at the grocery store, for instance, and we hear people uh, uh, singing, you know, Christmas carols. Okay? You know, you, you hear somebody uh, singing like, uh, what's the song? Uh, Joy to the world, right? Here's somebody humming that in, in the, the line at the, the grocery store. Joy to the world. Well, th- all right. That's it, a perfect opportunity to engage somebody and be like, do, do you know what the words of that song actually say? I mean, just a, as a show of hands, how many of y'all know what the words to that song say? Joy to the world. What? The Lord has come. Let earth receive what? Her king. Amen. It's a perfect opportunity for us to engage people in a way that normally we wouldn't have that opportunity. That's a blessing. And we need to take that opportunity because it gives us an opportunity to live on display for God, to share with something that people are not going to get from the culture at large. Okay? And we need to take that opportunity to heart. And we need to cash it in every chance that we get with our family, with our friends, with strangers. Because that's who we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. You know, in the Gospels, it talks about how uh, in the book of Mark uh, and the book of Matthew, um, when Jesus came back and he's talking to the disciples and he gives them the Great Commission, Um, in one version of the gospel, it says, go forth and spread the good news, okay, Uh, which is to share the gospel with the entire world. And in the other version, it says that we need to go forth and make disciples out of all nations. And we can't do that if we're not sharing Jesus with people. And this is the perfect time of the year to do it, or one of them, okay? The other one being Easter. But let us not take this next, what we got left? Eight days? Eight, nine days? Let's not take that for granted. Let's take it as the opportunity that it is 
to truly share the gospel with people, to share with people and give them a better understanding of why we even have a Christmas holiday. You know, most people grow up living so far apart from God and living so far apart uh, from the gospel that, you know, it really comes to them as a surprise that there's anything else to expect other than like Santa Claus and elves and, you know, all that other trash that we tend to commercialize and we tend to focus on. You know, and, and uh, it's interesting because like if, if you look at uh, the name for the holiday, Christmas, right? Like, uh, I don't know how many of you guys know Spanish, uh, but the word for more is mas, okay? So, like, if you look at Christmas, it is Christ more, or it is more of Christ. We need to be sharing more of Christ with people during this time of year. Again, there's no better opportunity for us to do it where it is non-intrusive. It is absolutely socially acceptable because guess what? You wouldn't have Christmas if it wasn't for Jesus. You wouldn't. So, really quick, just to kind of go back and review uh, the things that we need to be modeling from Daniel's life. We need to be making sure that we serve those in authority over us with excellence. We need to make sure that we are people of godly character. We need to make sure that we maintain a consistent prayer life and openly live out our faith. And lastly, we need to make sure that our life, our lives, and our testimony are impacting the people around us versus us being impacted by the culture, by other people, okay? Because here's the deal. Like, Daniel, even though he knew, uh, he knew that this law that was enacted would ultimately mean a real chance at, at dying. He didn't allow that to stop him because, you know, this law may mean that he's convicted and he's arrested, but that wasn't the conviction that he was really considering. His conviction was that, you know what, I only have one God to serve, and if I make that somebody else or something else, then I will dishonor not only God, but I'll dishonor my own testimony. I'll undermine my own testimony with people. So I'm just going to go ahead and stay the course. I'm just going to go ahead and do what I've been doing. And I'm not going to change just because the law changes. And we got to be that way too. You know, I talked about a little bit earlier uh, the fact that we have religious freedom right now. And what we have to understand as the body of Christ is that those religious freedoms are under attack every day. Every day. Part of the reason why they're under attack every day is because we're not influencing the culture enough. Sad but true, we are not. 
We are far too silent. We are far too stagnant. We're not on our knees enough. We're not, we are not fasting enough. We aren't even biblically literate enough to give the culture around us any reason to change. And it's a sobering thought, but it's real. And we need to be better than that. We need to. Because there's only one way that you get saved from this planet when you step into eternity. And if we don't share that with people, we do them a disservice. You know, the, uh, the Bible talks about how we ought to love our neighbors. There's no greater way to love people than to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, that's the only real question that matters. It's the only real thing that we, we need to be getting people to focus on, you know. Because when people step out from this physical presence into eternity, you know, the main question is, what did you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I don't care if you're saved or unsaved. What did you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Okay, we are all going to be asked that question. If you are unsaved and you rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, well, there's a consequence for that. You get to spend an eternity in hell. Okay, paying for your own sins. If you accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, you get to go to heaven, okay? But just because you get to go to heaven because you're, you're saved doesn't mean that you're not going to have to answer that question, though, because the question will just be turned slightly different, and it'll be like, all right, well, yeah, you got saved, and you accepted the gospel for yourself, but did you share it? What did you do personally with that gospel that I put into you? Did you give that to other people? Did you share that with people out of love? And it'll be a sad day for any of us to have to say, I didn't. And we don't want that. We want our loved ones to go to heaven. We want our friends to go to heaven. I don't think there's any doubt in anybody's mind that we want that. But we got to get on with the getting on. We got to do this thing. And that has to come from something inside of us that is intentional, that says that, you know what, today, you don't got to run up and down the street screaming the name of Jesus. I mean, that's cool, but, uh, you know, you want to be a fanatic, kind of tears into your credibility if you're a fanatic. But that person on your job that's been struggling, that family member of yours that you know has been going through a hard time that is looking for hope that's looking for a way up not just a way out a way up have you told them about Jesus that's what we need to be doing that's how we need to be loving on people and not just during this time of year but every day so find one. Find one person that you know is struggling. Try and encourage that person. Try and show them the love of Jesus. Try and show them something different than everything else that they're seeing in today's culture.
Because we need for people to have a reason to say, you know what, there's something different in you. There's something different about you. Okay? That's how we need to be influencing people. Because if we don't, we miss the mark. And remember, we all got to answer that question. What did you do with the gospel of Jesus? So let's make it count for something, especially during this time of year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for the word that you brought forth today. We pray, God, that you would help us with our convictions, with our strongly held beliefs. We pray that you would help us to not only live that belief out, but to live it out in such a way that people around us are influenced by it. Help us, God, to be people of godly character. Help us to let our standard of living, not necessarily our economics or anything, our standard of living be different than the culture around us so that they would be drawn in. God, give us the words to speak boldly in your name and help us to share the only thing that truly matters in life, and that's Jesus Christ. God, we pray and we ask that you continue to work on us and work through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.